Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders from throughout the sports event industry. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our guest today is Mike McAtee, Executive Director of USA Boxing. Before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches, Florida from October 2nd through the 5th, 2023. The conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium at the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. The sport of boxing first gained Olympic inclusion in 1904, and since then, U.S. boxers have won 111 Olympic medals, including 49 golds, which leads to all-time medal count. Some of the greatest names in the sport got started representing the U.S. in the Olympics, including Floyd Patterson, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Sugar Ray Leonard, Evander Holyfield, Oscar De La Hoya, and Clarissa Shields. But the world of amateur boxing has been undergoing upheaval to a level perhaps never before seen. USA Boxing has been in the middle of it as one of the national governing bodies around the world leading the formation of World Boxing, a new international federation that serves as an alternative to the International Boxing Association in the wake of the IBA's decertification by the International Olympic Committee recently. We sat down with Mike McAtee to discuss the international scene and much more. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Mike McAtee, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. It's uh, I think this is going to be a good opportunity to clarify a few things. So thanks for the opportunity to be a part of it. You, you mentioned kind of a little teaser there. Amateur boxing has been in the news a lot lately. When it comes to the IBA and the IOC and its long dispute, the news has been getting increasingly dire. USA Boxing ended its IBA membership to join the new World Boxing Organization in April. What went into that decision? And in the end, was it a hard one for you to make? Well, you know, the the not to bore you with all the, the background of it, but the IBA or International Boxing Association uh, was suspended in 2019. And our board of directors um, obviously took note of that. You know, this is a process and not only for USA Boxing, but uh, national federations around the world under the Ted Stevens Sports Act. Uh, here in the U.S., being able to um, have a team that's eligible to compete at the Olympic Games and the Pan Am Games is why we exist in 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 the United States. You know, we were concerned about everything and the suspension and being part of the Olympic movement. So we did start looking. Um, when I say we, the board of directors, and we started looking at how we can help uh, IBA. Um, I can tell you that. Um, USA Boxing was one of the founding members. Uh, then it was IBA in, in 1946. I actually have the minutes from that uh, a meeting. Um, I found it in my desk drawer literally about two months ago um, that we got a copy of it in 2006 from Colonel Don Hole. He had a handwritten note on it that said, I believe I'm the last person alive that attended this meeting and that USA Boxing should have it. So USA Boxing has been a founding member of IBA then, and it's a 77-year relationship. However, being in the Olympic movement is the first priority of, of USA Boxing. And so we started working better, uh, being a better partner, being a better member of IBA, 
Uh, and then in 2020, there was an election and they did some really good things of hiring some outside individuals uh, for governance. So we, you know, we were cautiously optimistic. However, uh, in any good business, you have to have plan B, plan C and all the contingencies. Um, and then, as we all know, those contingencies, if you don't have them in place, then things like COVID happen and things are a struggle. So, you know, we've been working on this since 2019. Uh, we believe the Olympic movement and the Olympic Games is is the pillar. Uh, it's the peak of the mountain for us. As we were working through all of those opportunities, we ran for positions. We had one USA boxing member, uh, Lee Signoli, uh, who is on our foundation board and is now on our uh, USA boxing board, was actually elected to the IBA board and actually got more votes than anybody else in the world. You know, we 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 tried to go through that, but unfortunately, we were deemed myself and four others of our group uh, were deemed that we were ineligible 24 hours after we were deemed innocent of any wrongdoing, uh, which was kind of unique. Uh, we then ended up going to CAS, Court of Arbitration of Sport, that found that we did commit minor violations, but so did the other candidate. So um, then we had the new election. And, and quite honestly, once after non-election that occurred at the Congress in, in Yerevan, that is when our board um, said, look, we have to start moving forward because this organization is just simply not following good governance. Uh, they're not following the Court of Arbitration of Sports ruling. Um, so we had several like-minded countries. And over the last, since 2019, spent a lot of time talking about the what if. So um, it's not all of a sudden, but it's been building up. And, and quite frankly, after the Yerevan Congress, we started looking at from a USA boxing standpoint, we hired a third party company to go back and analyze judging that IBA did compared to 2016, uh, compared to 2020, Tokyo, which was actually the boxing was supervised for the IOC with third party oversight. And then we had them compare other events. And when we looked at it, what we found, uh, or actually the third party found, is that the judging that was reviewed by the IOC, by the Boxing Task Force, there was not any allegations of corruption. It was straight up. The other part was the men's world championships that were in Serbia in 2021. That actually had third party oversight. And at that time, IBA uh, was still trying to regain recognition. After that event, there stopped being third-party oversight. So we then reviewed our boxers competing in the women's worlds and the scoring there. And um, we found that there was bout manipulation. Given everything that was happening politically, uh, the finances, IBA's unwillingness to change, we had to make that tough decision. So uh, essentially what we did is we went and spoke to our boxers first because it would impact them the most because they were the ones that had qualified, laid out the the reasons why we were concerned and why we would not want to participate in world championships. And they unanimously agreed. Why would we participate in an event where we know that there's going to be retaliation against our boxers? There's no third party oversight of the field of play. 
We've already been retaliating against our stances where they failed to follow their own selection procedures for officials. You know, quite frankly, we hear a lot about uh, the organizations promising all of that prize money. A couple of things. One, we never hear about it getting paid. And when is it going to get paid? Where's the money coming from? You know, that financial transparency is not there. So the decision not to participate in the uh, world championships was a hard decision because that's boxers want to compete. We want to get ready for the uh, Olympic qualification. But to the boxers and our coaches, our board of directors, it was a tough decision, but the right decision. Now we get through there. And and then quite frankly, once we decided not to participate and the threats of retaliation against us for actually following IBA's constitution and rules, where it says we have a right to participate, we don't have to participate in an authoritarian type mentality. And then they're opening us to go around the own rules and saying that any USA boxing member could then participate in the world championships. That's a violation of our sovereignty, um, which is pivotal in the IBA constitution, pivotal in USA boxing's statutes and bylaws, and part of the Olympic Charter. We went back, we looked at all the wrongdoings, and we took it to our board. Um, I believe we had over 20 points, and that was look a look back over since 2019. But these these challenges and opportunities have been going on since 1988. And so that decision to end the relationship was a unanimous vote by the board. And uh, we're moving forward because world boxing is the future. To follow up on that, you know, how hard of a process has it been in terms of being because USA Boxing has been one of the organizations around the world central to the formation of world boxing. How hard has that been in terms of talking and coordinating with other national federations around uh, national governing bodies around the around the world, working on the governance, on the incorporation and launching of the international federation? Because this is not something like like you said, and as you've described, this is not something where you just decided in two weeks, let's put something together. There needs to be a whole lot of planning and research before you can even get into the part where you even have a logo, you know, for lack of a better phrase. No, you're 100% correct. You come up with the idea, and we have a lot of like-minded countries that have been shoulder to shoulder with us, you know, Netherlands, uh, the home nations, Ireland, you know, our our partners that we we work with a lot and a lot of the, the Nordics and, and like-minded countries. But when you say, okay, we want to start something new, you literally have a blank piece of paper. And to your point, what is our logo going to be? What are, what are we going to call ourselves? Were, were you looking back on those original minutes from, you know, decades ago? Uh, you know, it, it the process is very similar. But the good part about it is the countries that like-minded countries, and there's, you know, we've had conversations since 2019. There's about 80 countries that participate or have boxers that qualified for the Olympic Games in Tokyo. IBA has 200 members. However, there a lot of them do not even have a boxer or they do not have an official. So we looked at, okay, what is what do we want to do here? Is it, you know, countries that are going to grow their grassroots and then go into nationals, then international, then to the Olympic Games? So that's the focus of world boxing. And yes, being in the Olympic movement is priority one. It's critical, but being in the Olympic movement grows your base. 
you know, being um, a member or certified by the USOPC, we understand compliance. Um, quite frankly, if you go to the IOC's website, uh, it talks about how to become an international federation. And you just follow the roadmap. Here are the things, the steps you have to do. You don't have to overthink them. You just have to do it. That provided a, a really good roadmap to your point. You know, we had to develop new statutes. We had to develop our own code of conduct, all these things. And then a lot of great international federations um, that have very good statutes that you can look at them, you can use them, you can take them. And that's what we built upon them. But at, at the, the core of it is it's about people and it's about culture. Starting a new organization fresh, you don't have the baggage of the culture of how things have been. You know, that is that is pivotal. One of the biggest things in the we will be the only international federation if we're approved and we're going to do everything we can by following the rules is third party oversight of everything. So we our ethics, uh, ethics chief is going to be a, a paid position on a contract that is going to be prepaid. So he or she, whoever is that individual, isn't beholding to world boxing. They're beholding to our members in our national federations. So third party oversight for ethics and governance, third party oversight for the field of play. We know the vast majority of boxing people especially the officials, want to do things right. Every boxer and coach wants to know that when that boxer climbs through the ring and they drive, they step through those ropes, they climb into the ring, that bell rings, that they're going to have a fair bout. Not that it's been predetermined by people in the back room that have been doing shady stuff. And that is our goal. And it, it proved that it works especially with the IOC's boxing task force in, in, in Tokyo, the oversight of the world championships as third party. So that's the, the process by which we we're looking at that every boxer, every coach, every official, every administrator, every national federation knows that you're going to get a fair shake. And it, you could be the number one boxer in the world. However, on this day, on this time, you may not win because you didn't perform at the level you need to. And that's what everybody um, that we've talked to, and it's the silent majority of national federations, that they just want fairness. That's what we're going to build upon in transparency, especially when it comes to selection procedures. So we're just building on what we already know, and other countries are building on what they know. So we'll be able to put together a product that we can all be proud of. Would you have worked in the formation of world boxing and then resigning from the IBA, if there was not the feeling that the IOC will formally recognize world boxing at some point, and then world boxing could then be the organizer for a boxing tournament at the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. You know, it it is one of those when you're reading the IOC's um, communications, which I think um, there there's a lot written and a lot that's not written. But, you know, looking at those, we we knew we had to change. You know, is it positive now, especially after the recent communication? But part of it, too, was USA Boxing was looking to expand anyway in that we want to be part of adaptive boxing. We want to be part of the Paralympic movement. And IBA 
does not have that. And quite frankly, it's against the rules to have a paraboxing. So we were looking at that as maybe another alternative. And then eSport, virtual reality boxing, we wanted to grow. We wanted to be a different organization anyway. You look at it and then are you taking a, a calculated risk? Yes. But we also knew we don't want to be part of an organization and I don't want to look my boxers in the eye knowing that we're putting them in the ring when there is a high probability of corruption. So are we in a a very good place right now? Yes. I think the IOC recognizes the the value of Olympic-style boxing, and not only here in the U.S., you know, the things that we teach in the boxing uh, gym that you just don't get with other sports. You know, we have, you know, we're the most diverse. Uh, we teach discipline. We teach self res- self-confidence, respect for others. We are a unique sport. You know, in, in boxing, you can go to any country in the world. You need two pair of gloves and you need two b- boxers willing to step in the ring and you're going to have boxing. The great benefit uh, of our sport, I think, is uh, universal. Uh, IBA has not done what it requires to be a member uh, of the Olympic uh, movement and the you know part of the Olympic um, community. So, no, we're the decision to move um, is based on looking back historically from 1988, but no movement, some movement from 2019 to 20, but then again uh, a false start in 2020. And and quite frankly, I think. IBA is worse now in 2023 than they were in 2016 and definitely worse than they were in 2019. A lot of false starts. Boxing has been part of the Olympics since the 1920s. What does it mean for USA Boxing to say that its athletes can be Olympians between funding and athlete development and athlete retention? How much is at stake in in boxing staying on the program for LA28? USA Boxing has won more medals than any other national federation when it comes to boxing. USA Boxing members, the USA has had more outstanding boxers than any other country. So yeah, we're we're pretty passionate about boxing in this country. And that, what does it mean for us? I think sometimes, and, and we all do this, is we want to look at what's in front of us. You know, what, what we're doing. Um, obviously, being part of the Olympic movement, being is critical the funding for USA Boxing. Um, USOPC uh, has great support and, you know, we have a great partner and in, in how they have worked with USA Boxing. And so we're very fortunate there. Um, we have great sponsors. They want us to be in the Olympic movement and how that impacts us. If boxing was not in the Olympic Games, USA Boxing would still have boxing in this country. We have 50,000 members, 2,400 boxing gyms, 1,300 boxing sanctions, and about 1,700 boxing days a year. So as a country, we would still, things would go down. We would lose sponsorships. And and so that would be very negatively impactful. Are we looking to the future? And being in the Olympic Games is huge to our members. But more importantly, to be in a good international partner, the countries that it would impact the most would be developing nations because they have Olympic solidarity funding. So that would be tragic to developing nations and how we can grow our sport. You wake up every morning uh, in the hope that the Olympic dream gives every boxer or every athlete in the world of being on top of the 
the podium with your hand on your heart and seeing your flag raised and the 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 spirit of Team USA. That that's our focus. Um, but how we get there, if that boxing is going to continue. But yes, it is, it is pivotal for USA Boxing to be in in LA. Um, it is uh, great for our membership. It's going to be great for our country. Um, just a great opportunity to showcase our our sport. In the midst of all the international upheaval, you made a point, and I want to follow up on it, is the grassroots, grassroots level. And USA Boxing, throughout all of this, has been running major events throughout the country. You recently had the National Junior Olympics and Summer Festival in Lubbock, Texas. Has the international drama been a topic of discussion within the U.S. boxing community at your events? or And has it affected in any way? Or do you get to, when you're at these events, be able to, as much as you can, kind of forget about the drama and just enjoy the fights and the action and dealing with the athletes? You know, that's a great question. And and yeah, it you know, people, it is on everybody's mind. And it's not just our members. We try to partner with other national federations of doing cultural exchange with our officials. So we, we do that also. So that's always exciting. We actually had a um, a company out of China um, that came to our event. They're exper- experimenting with AI judging technologies. We had that cultural exchange. And so that was another thing of how we could make our sport better. But yeah, it, it is a major conversation, but it's not a distraction. And, you know, and again, it, it is, hey, what's the future of our sport? Tyson Lee, our board president, always likes to say, hey, the rear view small. And you always want to be able to look at where you're at behind you. But the windshield's really big, and that's where we're going. You know, a lot of people come up to me, and Lubbock was fantastic, and Lubbock Sports Group is excellent and has done a great job. That's the third time we've been there. But they asked. They said, you know, is this a distraction? I go, you know what? Quite frankly, the boxing is the best part of my job. So being able to be around 900 boxers, 800, and I think we ended up with 45 bouts, four rings, coaches, everything. I mean, it's a celebration, and that's why JOs and our summer festival is a, a fantastic uh, event for us. It is our biggest event, and quite frankly, you know, we have boxers from eight years old. I think our oldest was 35 this time. So you have all the other noise, but at the end of the day, when the bell rings, everybody focuses on what's going on in the ring. So it it is on everybody's mind and and being part of the Olympic movement. But we also know that 13 boxers had the potential to qualify for the Olympic games. Uh, We have so far this year, we're about 47,000 members. Last year we were 50,000. So we're about 18% ahead. Those boxers are going to the gym every day, um, making good decisions, you know, giving them opportunities to not only hope and dream about being an Olympian, but they're learning the skills of life. And, you know, we like to say boxing teaches being a champion in and out of the ring. Also, our, our our mission is going for gold. And that's not just Olympic gold. That's being the gold standard of everything, being gold standard of going to school. We have a lot of programs that are, you know, books before boxing. So everything we want to do is, yeah, we're focusing at, at the highest level, but the grassroots level is more membership organization and being able to provide, you know, opportunities for all of them to grow as uh, as young people, give our coaches the opportunity to give back to the sport they love and our officials. And, you know, we're very, very fortunate. 99% of all our coaches and officials are volunteers. 
We have a great officials pool, coaches pool, physicians pool. So we're very fortunate and being able to go to different uh, cities and being able to bring our sport and uh, expose a lot of people to our sport is, is always wonderful for us. You mentioned you've been to Lubbock a couple times. The Olympic trials later this year will be in Lafayette, Louisiana, and that's a region you've also developed ties to over the years. How do you use the? How do you work with those relationships? Whether it's the CBB, sports commissions, associated businesses in those regions, and how have you developed some of those relationships, like Lubbock, like in the Louisiana region, to the point where you feel comfortable returning on a fairly regular basis? It's partnerships, and that's what we look at. And you know, and anytime we're doing sports travel, and is you know, it, it's an industry, but we also and we we talk about. What is the best for our members? Um, 75% of our budget is membership dollars. So how can we be good partners and looking, working with CVBs and sports commissions? You know, we look at venue space. Obviously, we have a, you know, minimum 40,000 uh, foot footprint. We're there for a week. You know, we're bringing 2,500 people into the community. I think, you know, a lot of the estimates are we're about a 2.5 million uh, in economic impact. So when we're looking at uh, our areas and the cities that we want to partner with, it's not we don't want to do a one and done. It's un it's unfair to our members. It's unfair to our partner cities and, and groups that hey let's go back, let's develop a partnership, and maybe we do a year on a year off. You know, Lubbock, um, we're coming back to Wichita next year, which was a two year deal. So that's what we're always looking for is is partnerships of how we can get back to the community how we can get back to our LBCs and then be good stewards of our members' dollars to put on these events. And and then, but more importantly, how can we be good partners uh, with uh, with the CVBs and, and our, our groups and partners in these cities? So, no, we're excited. We, we, we've been to Louisiana several times. And, you know, part of that came from changing the way we do business. Uh, our events now are bigger. Prior to 2016, we, we'd have a few events uh, that were very specific for Team USA or international competition. But what we're learning now, um, not only, and this is where we're moving forward to um, as part of our strategic plan, yes, we're going to have three or four national events a year, and they're going to be big. Now we're partnering with our LBCs, our local boxing communities, to be our committees to be able to have regional events, a good destination for other cities that are a three to four day event. People can travel in, they're not traveling halfway across the country. So then we can then develop better regional events and then partner with other cities and CVBs for, yeah, it's not gonna be a 2,500 person event, but it's gonna be three to 400 boxers, a four day event, you're putting heads in beds, uh, you're spending money, you're exposing people to other cities. So. That's one of our biggest uh, goals that next year we're hoping to be able to have 10 regional events in, in partner cities all over the country. So being able to help develop that is also part of our strategic plan. USA Boxing was also in the news recently with uh, for another good reason, and that is the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Foundation announced that the Daniels Fund has committed $800,000 in grant funding to the foundation to support USA Boxing on your journey to the 2024 Olympics in Paris. What does that type of grant do for your organization? Game changer. That amount of money. And, it, and it's um, we're just so fortunate 
for the Daniels Fund and the USOPC Foundation and, and the USOPC all working on our behalf. But it, it's a process. And again, it, what lessons learned that we did with USA Boxing, a lot of times t- t- we're using those for lessons learned for world boxing. Found uh, Bill Daniels, uh, great uh, foundation, but he's also a two-time Golden Glove boxer. His boxing coach was the biggest mentor in his life. You know, that that's part of their foundation. And they have been very supportive of us over um, from 2016 for our coaching education. Prior to me getting here in, in 2016, 2017, our, our board it was committed to coaching education and we worked with the foundation. They gave us some startup funding through the USOPC. Our, our coaching education hadn't been revitalized since 1984. Our head coach, Billy Walsh, that we hired away from Ireland, a very successful program, he has a great statement. He goes, you can coach one boxer and you've coached one boxer, but if you coach one coach, you've coached a, a hundred boxers, a thousand boxers, 10,000 boxers. So really buying into that philosophy, partnering with the Daniels Fund of being able to grow our coaching education, which then increases our, our grassroots coaches, which we have seen in since we 2019, we had 2,100 boxing gyms. So far this year, we're over 2,400, which then expands our base. So that that funding is going to be critical of reloading for LA 2028 if we give that opportunity because it's focusing on youth development, junior development, and coaching education. So it's going to ultimately impact the best boxers we have, but it's also going to be uh, that funding is going to be critical as we move into the future. So, you know, the way we look at it is statistically right now we're five years out from LA 2028. The average USA boxer that competes at the Olympic Games used to be about 19 and a half. We're, we're moving that up to be about 22. So our 16 and 17 year old is in right there in that junior youth window. We're developing our team now for LA and that money is going to be extremely helpful for that. One more question for you, Mike. You referred earlier to the story uh, that Tyson was saying about about not looking as much in the rearview mirror, but focusing on the windshield and the path ahead. What do you think the path ahead is going to be for USA Boxing and World Boxing? The sky's the limit. Um, We're excited. Um, I believe that World Boxing is going to do things the right way. Um, And I, I can tell you in the numerous conversations that we've had and like we discussed, this hasn't been two weeks ago that we, we've been worried about this. Most countries, uh, even countries that you would not, that are maybe not Western European, we've had contacts with them that are traditionally Eastern European. They want boxing in the Olympic Games. Asia wants boxing in the Olympic Games. The Pacific, Central and South America, um, we all want the same thing. So a lot of times they're quiet. Uh, but they're ready to go because they know that that is the, the, the being an Olympic champion is just the epitome of sport. I, I do believe the future is, is bright. We're excited. We we're, we're blessed with the greatest uh, volunteer force of coaches and officials and physicians. Uh, so we're excited about the future. We're going to make sure uh, we keep an eye of where we've been because USA boxing hasn't always been 
doing things the right way. So we need to stay grounded in, in good governance, uh, keeping the athlete first mentality, being good business partners and being good partners with our, you know, our, our cities and our CVBs to be able to put on great events. Nobody likes to train and not compete. So if you can put on a great event in a great city that the city benefits from it with great economic impact, we can grow our base in that city and then, you know, grow our, our, our sport and expose a lot of people to our sport. You know, a lot of times, and this is probably one of the, the things that I don't do a good enough uh, job is amateur Olympic style boxing is one of the safest sports out there. You know, when it comes to people always have a um, potential about concussions, our concussion rate is lower than uh, we don't even make the CDC's top 10. Um, we, we're, we're a very safe sport. We're a very honest sport. So being a safe sport, being able to expose a lot of young people, and then we're looking to the future of how we can partner with um, uh, adaptive boxing and esport boxing. The future is bright. The sky's the limit. And, and you know, we're looking for partnerships uh, in sports travel. And, you know, hopefully we can grow our sport and expose a lot of people to the sweet science. All right. Well, Mike, I appreciate you taking so much time on on this Friday and we'll be keeping an eye on things as they develop in the amateur space. But I also want to continue uh, uh, chatting with you in the months to come. And But for now, thank you very much for joining us on the Sports Travel Podcast. Matt, thanks a lot. We really appreciate you and all the, the work you guys do. Thanks a lot, uh, you know, from USA Boxing. And I know uh, our partners, uh, uh, NGBs, really, really appreciate everything you do. So thank you very much. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Traub for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.